Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I know that we live in a very busy world and so many things are making demands for your time. Responsibilities at work and at home. There are dozens of forms of entertainment that could easily take your evening. But you've chosen to join us here on That's Truth, and I am very thankful for that and glad that you have chosen to join us. We don't just want you to join us, but we also want your family and your friends to join us also. So take just a moment to send a WhatsApp, uh, call someone, send them an email, and encourage them to tune into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and to listen to That's Truth. We'll be with you for the next 90 minutes, and we are looking forward to that. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm sitting in the studio of the Radio Lighthouse, and across the desk from me, behind the other microphone, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Nathan, and good evening to the audience this evening. As... I go about just my daily routines, Pastor. I'm seeing more and more articles, more and more literature that has been published that talks about how we need to treat homosexuals and transgender individuals. And I have in my hands here an article that I saw three times this week. And after seeing it three times, I said, you know what, I need to ask you about it. And it's entitled, Calling Trans Youth by preferred name, can drastically reduce chance of suicide. It's written by Katie Burkholder, and it's dated January thirteenth, two 2019. Uh, two things I want to, sentences I want to share. In a study in 2014 entitled Suicide Attempts Among Transgender and Nonconforming Adults, during, or conducted by the Williams Institute, It was found that 41% of transgender people attempt suicide. In the opening sentence, calling transgender youth by their preferred name can reduce their chance of committing suicide by as much as 65%, according to a new study done by the Journal of Adolescent Health. So my question, Pastor, is, as Christians, we would definitely agree that suicide is a horrible thing. Of course it is. Should I, as a Christian individual, in order to reduce someone else's likelihood of committing suicide, should I buy into this logic and call a transgender person by their preferred name when it's very obvious they were born the other gender? All I would say about that, Nathan, is that statistics can teach anything. You can get any study and you can can twist it uh, along your ideology. 
And I think there's a real uh, modern conspiracy uh, to not only destroy um, uh, manhood, but I also attempt to fem- feminize our, our young people. And I think that a lot of these studies are um, geared in that direction and twisted in that direction. It's just like all of the sex studies that were done uh, years ago uh, to try to prove that homosexuality was normal. When you do the research into the people they interviewed, they discovered that most of the interviews were done with people who were already homosexual. They were not going to normal society, but people were not told that. So they skewed the facts uh, to kind of give legitimacy to homosexuality. I think it's exactly what is happening here to this transgender movement. I think it's all linked to the idea to feminize men, destroy human uh, uh, male, male, maleness, and I think it's an attack upon biblical uh, Christianity, an attack upon the the uh, gender that God has created. So I'm not going to call anybody. I don't care who they are. If you're a man, you'd be called a man by me. You're he. You're not a mm-hmm. she. And I'm not going to call you it or in between. How God made you is exactly how I'm going to call you. And I'm not going to... Ch- um, dilly-dally with the truth and tamper with the truth because of some weird statistics that somebody came up with. I don't accept the statistics. I think that um, they're skewed, and I think it is all part of this this conspiracy to feminize men and uh, masculinize women. But is that showing the love of God? Well, uh, we got to love in truth. We don't surrender truth in order to, to show love. Well stated. We, we stick with the truth. Uh, and I would like to say that what is love, really? Love is speaking truth, okay? Uh, I am, if I'm speaking falsehood to you, how in the world can I ever claim that I love you? So I just think it is all this moral distortion that we've got today, the moral confusion. And Christians got to be careful that they don't surrender to all of this, this dogma and these statistics that are coming from sources that are not only questionable, but sources that already uh, allied themselves with this whole sexual revolution movement, moving people away from uh, the gender that God has established. Our topic for this evening is a religion which has over 1.8 billion followers. It shares many biblical accounts with Christianity, but some from a very different perspective. It is the only religion growing faster than the world's population. Our topic this evening is Islam. Pastor, I'm very confident in saying we're not going to be able to cover this whole topic in one uh, evening, but let's get started with the history of Islam. Uh, Do we know much about the beginnings of Islam? Well, the gist of Islam uh, started with uh, Muhammad. Um, Even though uh, when you read the Quran, they actually uh, indicate that it actually started with Abraham. So it's, it's, it's amazing, but uh, as far as we know, historically, it started with Muhammad, uh, who was born in 570 AD, uh, died in, I think, 63 or 65, uh, 632 AD. Uh, when he was 40 years old, he um, had an encounter in a cave. Um, he was so concerned about the idolatry of his time and the corruption of his time, he used to go into caves and uh, meditate and pray, etc., etc. And then when he was age 40, uh, he had an encounter with uh, Gabriel. Uh, it's purported that he had this encounter. He's claiming he had this encounter with, with Gabriel, uh, the archangel. And for the next 23 years, um, Gabriel um, gradually unfolded to him the, the Quran. Uh, remember that Mus- um, that Muhammad could not read, he could not write. I did not know that. Yeah, so he had to memorize all this stuff. 
and impart it to his uh, his followers. Um, that's essentially how it started. Um, but remember that uh, Muhammad Allah, for example, was the the god of the tribe um, that Muhammad belonged to before he actually created Islam. Allah was the the the, uh, the god of the tribe, but there was a lot of idolatry, and he was moving the being exposed to Judaism and Christianity. Remember that the Muslim movement comes 600 years after Christianity. People don't understand that. Remember also that the Muslim... 600 years after Christ. After Christ. Okay. And it also comes about 1,200 years after the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament written. That is why if you read the Quran, um, I'm of the opinion that the Quran is actually a modified form of Judaism. And what I mean by that is that it, it takes the the model of the book is patterned after uh, the Old Testament legalistic system with all the different rules and regulations. It also makes reference to a lot of the Old Testament writers, uh, Old Testament uh, personages like Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael, etc., etc. It seems to me, not only that, they are also borrowed from the uh, Jewish traditions that are also included in the, in the Book of Islam. We'll see that in some other time. I'll give you a quotation from the Book of Islam and from these Jewish um, um, oral traditions as, as well. But um, so I, I, but he wanted to move the people from idolatry. And of course, he would have had the model of both Judaism and Christianity, which are both monotheistic religions. So he, uh, he was motivated, basically, to create a monotheistic uh, faith. And uh, and um, that's how basically it started. So Muhammad is the the main uh, person there. Uh, when he first advocated uh, this new principle of having one God, Allah, and He is His prophet. Um, remember, he was living in Medina at the time. He was born in Medina. That's uh, Saudi Arabia. So uh, sorry, in Mecca, he was born in Mecca, um, and yeah, in Saudi Arabia, and. He was getting a lot of backlash because being among polytheistic people who were engaged in a lot of immoral activities, and he's condemning them, and he had to leave, then he went to Medina, and that's where he really started the first community. His first convert really was um, his wife. Uh, he, she was his first convert, and then um, a guy called Ali uh, became his second convert. By the time, within three years, he had about 40 different followers. And then he's in Medina is where he grew and developed this movement. Um, and then the Mecca, um, those in, in the that place, they f- saw the rise of his power in Medina and then tried to attack Medina. At first, Muhammad was defeated and people left some of his, his faith. But then when they uh, made a second attempt with 10,000 men, there were only 300-something Muslims, and they were able to defeat these 10,000. It was seen as a tremendous miracle. And uh, as a result of that, um, he got the ascendancy and became a religious leader, the political leader, the military leader. He became everything, basically. But that's how it, it really started. And um, So we look at the man that um, concerned about the ideology of his time, the low moral state of his time. He goes into caves, he starts praying. By the way, when when he started getting these so-called revelations and what he thought was, um, he thought it was demons talking to him. Uh, so he wasn't too sure uh, that it wasn't demons talking to him. So he was scared himself. It was only his wife who was able to persuade him it was Allah who was talking to him. 
So let me interrupt you there. Do you, if if he was open to that idea or he of his own accord was saying this may be demons, when you compare his writings, and I'm sure we'll do this in Uh the future, but when you compare his writings to Scripture and especially end times, they're so opposed. I mean, it's like the same story but opposite sides. Is it possible that it was demons? Yeah, I I have no doubt. Every false religion, behind every false religion, is demonic powers. I mean, uh, there's no question about that. If it is moving away from what God has revealed, you have an enemy who always has wanted worship from the very inception of his rebellion. He still wants worship, and he's still going to get worship ultimately when the beast's builds the image, and the whole world worshipped him. So there's no doubt in my mind that behind every false religion, including Islam, that there are demonic powers and there are satanic um, uh, engineering to bring about this program. And I would not... Same thing with... Take the Mormons, for example. Again, that Joseph Smith had all these revelations from Moroni, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same theme, but different different, different um, characters that are used. But the same idea that religion, all religion has gone stale. Um, everybody's gone away from God. Now God chooses a special person to restore true religion. Every single false religion, that's the same concept. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, I will build my church and the hell will never prevail. There will never be a time when the true church is not on earth. Because God has promised the gates of hell can never prevail. But all of these uh, groups, including Islam, is a restoration of the true religion. And all of them have to do with some special revelation that they now receive that is outside the Bible. And I can't emphasize this too much again. I'm coming back to it. When you surrender that there's any revelation outside of Scripture, you've opened a Pandora's box to anything that's possible. And that's why all of these religious groups are always claiming some extra biblical source because revelation is not completed. And if the church ever surrenders that, it has no answer to these other groups that have started. So using that logic that you just had there, that there is no extra uh, biblical source or continuing revelation, the Jews, would they not say the New Testament is invalid, the Old Testament is God's Word? So where do you draw that line as this is the point at which there is no more uh, extra revelation? Well, remember that the New Testament is just a continuation of the Old, it's a replacement of the Old Testament. So the same way that um, God gave the Old Testament to the Jewish people, moving in the direction throughout the Old Testament, pointing that the Messiah is going to come one day. After the Messiah has come, the Messiah now tells you that when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So he now is saying to you that when I leave, the Holy Spirit is now going to come and do a ministry and te- remind you of the things that I've taught. That's where the New Testament comes from. And then you've got the witness of the Apostle Paul and Peter, which said you're very, that, that um, no prophecy is except um, men are moved by the Holy Spirit, carried along by the Holy Spirit, and that um, the Bible is totally inspired. So you've got the testimony of Christ that when the Holy Spirit comes, He is going to bring things to your memory, all that I've taught you. That's what the New Testament is all about. So we draw it at the end of the New Testament. Remember also the book of Hebrews, that God hath in these last days spoken to us in His Son. The final word to man is through Jesus Christ. No man comes after Jesus Christ. He is the final word. He's the final Messiah. What are we waiting for? We're not waiting for some caliph or some magi to come. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. Uh, but the, the Bible is complete. 
uh, I would challenge anyone to read the Old Testament and then read the New Testament. Read the first book of Genesis, read the book of Revelation, and I think it's virtually impossible to, to, to deny that this is a complete book. You're listening to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua. This is an interactive program. Our topic this evening is Islam, but that doesn't mean that you can't ask a question about something else, something that maybe you've been wondering, why does the Bible say this? Why does it say it this way? Why doesn't it say something? We would love for you to contact Pastor Murphy and ask your question, and you can do that by calling and being put live on the air, and the phone number for that is 1268 I'll give that to you again as you get a pen or as you unlock your phone and get ready to dial it. Be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. Maybe you'd rather not be put live on the air, but you still have a question. We would love to hear your question and answer it from the Bible. You can send your question via WhatsApp or text message to one 1- Or if you are on Facebook Live, you can send it as a comment beside the video feed, and we will pass it along to Pastor Murphy. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is currently 7.48. Pastor, you covered a brief synopsis of the history of Islam and a little bit about uh, Muhammad. Anything else you want to mention about Muhammad? Yeah, after uh, Muhammad died, you have two main groups now splitting off because there are those that believe that the leader should be in the lineage of Muhammad. There are others that don't believe that it should be the family line, and they're going a different direction. So that's what the split came about. So the, the, what is called the caliph is the person who is fall in the line, the family line of Muhammad. Uh, so you've got basically two main groups, the Sunnis and the um, Shiites. Uh, so after um, Muhammad died, uh, his father-in-law, a guy called Abu Bakr, became the caliph, and uh, he became the leader of the Islamic movement. Let me just remind the, the audience as well that within 200 years, Islam had become such an aggressive religion militarily that coming from Saudi Arabia within 200 years, it had gone to Spain and just about to go into France, had extended to to, uh, to India within 200 years. It had conquered basically the whole world, and it would have conquered Europe. I think last time I told you that Charles Martel, at the Battle of Tours in 732, is who stopped the Muslim movement going into Europe. Otherwise, Europe would have been conquered and Europe would have become Muslim. But in France, that's where it would stop, and that, that pushed back the Muslim movement. But had that not happened, uh, perhaps today we would have been speaking uh, Arabic. But uh, in the divine providence of God, it was stopped uh, just before it could conquer France. Now, you mentioned the Sunni and the Shiites. Is that the same two groups that we hear about in the news, like when we hear uh, BBC News out of Iraq and the the Muslims fighting amongst themselves? Yeah, the, the, the diff- that's why, for example, here's a battle going on between Iran and Saudi Arabia, especially in connection with Yemen, that um, Saudi is, is pushing back in Iran because the Iranians are Shiite. The... Um, the Saudi Arabians, sorry, the Iranians are, are Shiite and the Saudi Arabians are Sunni. 
And that's where the battle between these two different sects of um, Islam. Uh, the Sunnis believe in the caliphs who followed the line of um, Muhammad, his family, the four caliphs. So they, they followed the caliphs, but not the Shiite. They, they did not go in that direction. They take a more strict adherence to the, the Quran. Uh, the Sunnis are far more moderate than the Iranians would be or the Shiite would be. Uh, 90% of all Muslims in the Middle East are Sunnis, 90%. I'm told that 90% of the Muslims in Egypt, for example, are Sunni. 90% in Jordan are Sunni. 90% in Saudi Arabia are Sunni. And that's the more moderate. The more, yeah, 90% in Libya are, are Sunni. The other group, the, the, uh, the Shiite, uh, really 93% of the population of Iran are Shiite. Wow. Now you see the battle, what yeah. is going on, going on in the Middle East, etc., etc. Um, and then there's another group um, that is called the Sufi, um, but this is more like a mystical set, and um, a lot of Muslims reject them. This is more like you know sometimes you hear about Nostradamus being a Christian and he is a kind of a mystic. This is a kind of a group that kind of spiritualizes the Islamic faith and uh, a much more loose in following the Islamic doctrine and would more like allegorize. So they are not really, they're pretty much rejected, but it's this, this is the mystical group of the, um, of the Islamic group. So the main two then are the Sunnis and the Shiite, and that will probably help the audience to understand where there's this great battle going on between Saudi Arabia influence and Iranian influence. That goes back to the, these differences between Islam. And how strong are those two groups opposed to each other? Is it the kind of thing where the one calls the other completely apostate, completely lost the truth? They are so much hated each other. That's why there's so much war. That's why, for example, Iran is allied itself with Russia and Syria. And you find Saudi Arabia and Jordan and those are allied themselves with America. It's the, the, the two poles. Uh, and this is a not just a... Uh, a religious clash. This is going to be a military clash because Iran is trying to create a hegemony over the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is also trying to do the same thing. So they're each are trying to wield influence. Remember that 93% of the Iranians are Shiite. Remember that 90% in Saudi Arabia, 90% in Jordan, 90% in Egypt are Sunnis. And both are competing for influence and control. And that's where this great battle is going on. I found it interesting that only 20, usually when I think of Muslims or Islam, I think of Arab, but only 20% of Muslims in the world mm -hmm. are Arab. Yeah, because Arabs are people who came from Ishmael, but not all Arabs are Muslims. Yeah. And some people just think because you hear the word Arab, it's Muslim or it's, uh, you know, it's not. Yeah. It's just not. And the largest uh, group of Muslims are actually in Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia, Pakistan has a lot too, Bangladesh and Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Those countries got a lot of uh, um, a lot of Muslims. So, from a biblical, you said Ishmael there. From a biblical worldview, where would you say that Islam got its start? Well, the whole argument it, it started with Muhammad. There's no question about that. Okay. But what has happened? They have taken the Bible, the Old Testament, and redacted it. So, whereas Abraham sacrificed Isaac, they have Abraham sacrificing Ishmael. Wow. That, that's the whole thing. They've, whatever the Jews 
the Jewish Bible says about the line the, of the, the Messiah is, is this particular line. They have reversed everything. So it's like, it's like they took the Old Testament and redacted it and just reordered it to, because we know that Ishmael was born of Hagar. Yeah. You know, and, we know, and we know that um, Isaac was made the son of promise. The Bible makes that clear. And we know that the Messiah is coming through Isaac and the blessings are coming through Isaac. They have reversed that so that it's Ishmael that gets the blessing. It's Ishmael through the, through the Messiah would come. That's why uh, when people say, for example, that Christianity and the Muslim faith are alike, they're poles apart. Ab- absolutely impossible. Yeah. Right? We've been using the terms uh, Islam and Muslim. Can you, how do those two relate? Are they interchangeable? Well, in, in a sense, but Islam is the name for the religion. That's the name of the religion. A Muslim is a, a follower of the religion. So he's an adherent to the religion. But both mean basically the same thing. Islam means submission. Uh, and the word Muslim also means one who submits. So it's just that the name of the religion is Islam. The follower is called a Muslim, basically. That's the difference between the two. And what about Allah? Well, Allah is the, the God of the Muslims. He would be equivalent to what we call Jehovah or Yahweh. But uh, again, uh, people say they're not they're the same, they're not the same, because Allah, while it's a monotheistic God, in other words, he's one God, he is absolute one in the sense it's a monistic God. Uh, they would never countenance the idea that there's such a trinity. We say there's one God, but within this one nature, or this one substance is God the Father, God. To them, that's blasphemy. Allah has no sons. Uh, so again, to say that Christianity and, and the Muslim faith, they all believe the same thing, is just pure nonsense. They're poles apart. You're listening to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We would love for you to ask any questions that you have, whether it's about the topic of Islam or whether it's about what the Bible says on a given topic or whether it's just a concern you have and you would like pastor's biblical perspective on that. You can call and be put live on the air, one 462 7420 Or you can WhatsApp and text your question to one 1454 Pastor, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the Koran. Uh, what is the Koran and what's its role in Islam? Well, the Koran the, is the Arabic word for recitations. And those are the revelations that were given to Muhammad over a 23-year period from the time he was 40 until uh, later he, he died in his 60s. Uh, basically, um, a lot of the Old Testament is in the Quran. Um, names like Adam, Eve, um, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, etc., etc. But as I said, it, the spin is that has been redacted to put Islam in a favorable way and tracing it to the line of uh, Ishmael. But it's basically revelations that uh, were given to Muhammad, purported to be given to Muhammad over a 23-year period by Gabriel that he memorized. And uh, remember, he can't read, he can't write, and passed it on to uh, people who wrote these things down to create the Quran. But it's a sacred book that would contain uh, their, their theology, um, uh, what they should be doing, their customs, etc., etc. Um, I must say too that the the Muslims also accept the law of Moses, the first five books dependent to the Bible. But again, 
they have redacted it uh, and put it a spin to it that is in favor of the Muslims. They also accept the Psalms of David, by the way, and they also accept what is called the Injil, Injil or Gospel. But they believe that the Gospel that we have in the Old Te- in the New Testament is a distortion, and that that's not the real Gospel. So, so the Quran is the main book. Um, it it has a hundred and fourteen chapters, what we call surahs, um, but it contains basically, in essence, the revelations that were given to Muhammad. And remember that these revelations supersede Christian revelation. So the Iran, the Iran is an upgrade to the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. is a higher revelation than those books. I found it interesting to find, I read that it is estimated that approximately one-third of the Quran is eschatological, dealing with the afterlife and the next world and with the day of judgment and end times. And I didn't have a chance to look up how much of the Bible is, what percentage of the Bible is talking about eschatology. But a, a great deal. I think if you read the, the, uh, the New Testament in particular, you find that you hardly can read one of the epistles that doesn't bring attention to the, the whole matter of the winding up of planet Earth and the Lord's return. It's one of the common themes you find throughout the New Testament. I also found it interesting that uh, Muslims consider Muhammad's most important miracle, the Koran, uh, he doesn't have any other miracle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no comparison between Christ and, and Muhammad. I hope we get a chance to do the comparison at some time in the broadcast. Maybe not there, but next time. But there's no comparison. He, uh, Muhammad performed no miracles, absolutely no miracles, other than, as you said, uh, what they purport to be the revelation of the Quran from Gabriel that was passed on to his uh, his followers. Real quick, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Nation of Islam. Yeah, uh, I've heard of it. Now, are we at all talking about the Nation of Islam tonight? No, or? we're not talking about the, the Nation of Islam is really a black Muslim movement, really. Um, it's something different. They, they have Muslim uh, doctrine, but it is really a racist Muslim movement. It is, it's, um, you probably, this guy, Karifat, um, what's his name? Har, um, Farrakhan? Farrakhan, Farrakhan. Mm-hmm. He's the, the leader of that. Um, but really, it is more a black, Movement. Um, it's almost like the Ku Klux Klan of the Muslim movement. I think that's the best way to put okay. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's more of a Western, originated in the U.S. kind of thing, yeah. as opposed to. So we're not talking about the Nation of Islam. We are talking about the religion of Islam and the followers of Islam, which are Muslims. The Quran, uh, 60. Percent of Muslims, according to two sources I came across, sixty uh-huh. percent of Muslims worldwide are illiterate. Uh, Islam dominates a lot of the poorer countries, and that being said, that means that sixty percent of Muslims, there's no way they could have ever read their holy book. Yeah, not only that, when you have to say the prayers uh, five times a day, you have to say those prayers in Arabic. You mm-hmm. can't say it in English. You, you, those five prayers is a requirement that you, you at least memorize those prayers. So when you talk to a Muslim, and um, I've had this happen to me already, even a, um, a person who is speaking English, 
And then he goes off in this area. You said, man, this guy is smart. <laughs> but you, if you know the guy, you know he's not smart. It's just that he's memorized it. But I thought that was... And, you know, they never really encouraged the, the, the Quran to be translated into English. So you can very well understand why that's a problem. That's like the Catholics many years ago who yeah. did everything in Latin. Yeah. And uh, nobody understood a single word of Latin, but yet they would have the services in Latin. They, everything was done in Latin. And <laughs> so somewhat similar to that. What about, uh, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing this word right, but I came across it today, and I want to make sure that I understand it correctly, hadith? Yeah, the hadith, uh, what you call the oral traditions. Uh, these are a collection of the sayings and the uh, teachings of, of uh, Muhammad. It's like the Jews uh, who got the Talmud, which are oral traditions that are addition to the Old Testament. That's what the Hanif is. Um, so it has a lot to do with, it covers like customs, political issues, and, and the social structure of Islam. But um, it is a collection of traditions, oral traditions. And you, you mentioned a word the other, a uh, couple minutes ago, caliph. What what is meant by a caliph? A caliph is really an Arabic leader, and he um, refers to the person who f is an immediate successor in the line of uh, Muhammad. So he be called a caliph. Like you got Ayatollah, a spiritual leader. Uh, he doesn't come in the line of Muhammad, but a caliph would come in the Muhammad family line. Is the Ayatollah is that someone who would be alive today, or is that like their? Uh, their savior that is coming at the no, end No, the Ayatollah is very much alive. You've heard of the Ayatollah Khamenei, who is now in Iran, the religious leader. Okay. So, so he's he's one of the Ayatollahs. But if he died, he'd be another Ayatollah because, like a spiritual leader, that that um, it's like given the name uh, priest, we give it the name priest. The Ayatollah is like a the religious leader. You're listening to that's truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're discussing the religion of Islam and the followers of Islam who are Muslims. If you have a question about this topic or maybe another topic, we would love for you to call. This is an interactive program. We're here every Tuesday evening, and we look forward to your questions. You can WhatsApp or, quest or text your question to 268 1454 Now, Pastor, I've heard in the past about five pillars of Islam. Can you explain what is meant by that? Why is it so significant? Well, remember that, uh, but we haven't discussed it yet, but Islam has the how you deal with sin and how you get saved. Uh, there's no grace in Islam. Uh, there's no original sin. Uh, there's no need for atonement. So the method of becoming right with, with uh, Allah basically has to do with a system of works. And this is where these five pillars of Islam come in. There are things that every Muslim must do if he's going to ever get to paradise. It's not an if or maybe. These are five things he must do. One is he has to recite what is called the Shahada. And the Shahada is basically says there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That is something you have to do as a Muslim and repeat that every day, basically. And then there are the five daily prescribed prayers. They call it the Salat. And these are prayers where you've got to genuflect, you've got to prostrate yourself, and you've got to be 
pointing yourself in the direction of Mecca, just like the Jews pray in the direction of Jerusalem. That's why I said, <laughs> the more you study Islam, it is, it is Judaism with an Islamic spin on it. So just that you have the, 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 uh, the temple, you're going to find that in Mecca, you've got the Kaaba, right? That's where every, every Muslim goes. And you've got the Jews going home, going back to Jerusalem. So is the Kaaba a building? Yeah, we, we'll, we'll talk okay. about that. Yes, a building. Okay. But, and then, so you've got the recitation of the Shahada, which is the, um, um, which would basically says, you know, there's only one God, Allah, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got the five daily prayers that required. required. And then another thing that you must do is Am's giving is called the Zayak. A Muslim must give one fortieth of its income as charitable contributions. Christians give one tenth, but they <laughs> mustn't give one fortieth. I wonder who's more generous in that regard. And then the fourth pillar is fasting, something called the Suwan, or they call it the, the Ruzith, um, um, during the month of Ramadan. Muslims are supposed to stay away from food and drink from sun, sunrise to sunset. Uh, so they've got to do fasting. It's mandatory that they do fasting. I know a, a, a pure or a true uh, Muslim would even refuse to swallow their own saliva. Uh, growing up in Niger, West Africa, where mm-hmm. my parents were missionaries, uh, and there was about 95% Muslim, Islam, there would be a, a number of people who would end up in the hospital during Ramadan. It's the southern edge of the Sahara Desert, uh-huh. but they would spit because th- in order to make sure that they were fasting correctly, they didn't want to swallow anything, wow. and so they would just spit anytime they got saliva in yeah. their mouth, and they'd become dehydrated. But don't forget to, um, almost every time they have the going to Mecca, every year, many people die because there's a stampede to kiss the black stone in the Kaaba. So they rush over each other and, and kill each other. I mean, it's one cannot doubt the sincerity of the Muslims. No, yeah. You can never doubt that. But you can be sincerely wrong. And I think that's, that's the whole situation in the Muslim faith. It's almost a fanatical faith, basically. Um, but the other thing is the, the pilgrimage to Mecca, something they call it Hajj. Um, every Muslim, at least once in his life, has got to make a trip to Mecca. If he's going to get into paradise, he has to make that trip. Those are what you call the five pillars of Islam. You mentioned a couple of things while you were describing that. You mentioned Mecca, and that's in Saudi Arabia, correct? Correct. That's Uh, the birthplace of Muhammad. But then you mentioned Kaaba? Yeah, the Kaaba is a cube, um, a black cube, basically. Um, it's about 60 by 60 by 60 and it is supposed to be a cube that was built by Abraham and his son Ishmael and in that there is a black stone uh, it's believed to be a meteorite uh, but every Muslim tries to kiss that stone because Muhammad uh, is the one that kissed that stone so it's a, it's a practice so part of the going to this pilgrimage part of the goal of going to Mecca is also to get a chance to see the stone and go into Kaaba and uh, kiss the stone, basically. It's like a, it used to be a temple where there were a lot of gods in it, you know, idols, etc. When Muhammad started the Islamic movement, he went in and he, uh, when he conquered Mecca, he cleansed the, it's like the cleansing the temple 
again, see the parallel, the analogy? Yeah. You can almost see it uh, again in the Old Testament, cleansing the temple. Well, he's the man that, just like Jerobabel and them rebuilt the temple and cleansed the temple, he's doing the same thing, getting rid of the idols and starting something. It's a copycat religion. So, if he's cleansing the temple, do they claim to worship Muhammad? No, they don't worship Muhammad, they worship Allah. Okay. But... As far as they're concerned, Muhammad is the last prophet. He's superior to Jesus Christ. Uh, he, uh, Christ is not even on par with Muhammad. But here's the problem. When you begin to... Uh, uh, the Muslims admit that Jesus Christ was sinless, that he was born of a virgin. They even admit he was taken directly by God. He didn't die and taken to heaven. And he's going to come back during the, the eschatological period and, and save them from the, the Antichrist. But yet, how can a person who is sinless who is virgin-born, who performed all these miracles, who God took directly into heaven, Muhammad died. I can't understand why they would consider him to be superior to Christ. Mm-hmm. And then when you consider the life of Christ and what the Bible says about him, there's no comparison whatsoever. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can contact us. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Are you enjoying Pastor Murphy's teaching style? Do you live here in Antigua? If you're looking for a good Bible preaching church to attend, we would invite you to visit Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Grace is the church that Pastor Dr. David Murphy pastors. And it is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles. Uh, Sunday school starts at 9 a.m., the morning service at 10 a.m., Sunday evening service at 7 p.m., and then at 7 p.m. on Thursdays, we have prayer meeting alternating with Bible study on every other Thursday. Again, we're not trying to take you away from your church if your church is teaching the Bible. But if you are in Antigua and you are looking for a church that is teaching the Bible clearly, we invite you and welcome you to come visit us at Grace Baptist Church and hear Pastor Murphy's preaching. You can also tune in to his uh, radio program on Sunday evenings here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse entitled Sermons of Grace. Pastor, I've heard Sharia law mentioned. I've even heard it on the BBC News talking about some court cases in the UK. What is Sharia law? Sharia law basically is, let me use an analogy, is like trying to impose on the modern world the Old Testament teachings and um, just following strictly what the Old Testament, how to deal with with, uh, um, penalties of of law, justice, etc., etc. Sharia law is taking... The the uh, the Quran and applying all the rules and regulate everything that he said to the modern world. So when it comes to administering justice for crimes, you follow exactly what the Sharia law says. You don't follow the la- the laws of the land because Sharia law is superior to the laws of the land. So it's it's just like if the Jews want to impose the Old Testament today on everybody uh, all those regulations that's substantially what it is it's imposing the the Quran on the entire world and living by the, the laws of uh, the, the Muslim community but if I was an atheist living in the United States could I not say that Christianity did the same thing by imposing 
uh, like having the Ten Commandments in the courthouses and saying the laws say thou shall not murder uh, and that type of thing? Well, we can't deny that the Western world is built on the Judeo-Christian uh, ethics and the Bible. No question about that. All the great thinkers that laid the foundations both for science, for law, jurisprudence, it all goes back to, to uh, Christian people who were fine lawyers and et cetera, et cetera. So we can't divorce that. I mean, in the Western society, uh, you can't go in any part of the Western world that you're not come under the influence. Most of the laws of Antigua uh, were formulated basically from a Bible base because you got your law from England, basically, as a transfer from England here. So whatever uh, Western society where Christianity is gone, you're going to find the same thing in the, in the Muslim world. But the problem is the Muslim, we can't go to the, uh, into a Muslim country and preach. We can't talk about imposing Christianity on the Muslim. I don't if we want to impose. We won't want to do that. But they want to come into the Western world and completely make the Western world Muslim in terms of belief and faith and all the practices. But you're going to have that interaction. Every single religion, uh, if the Hindus, for example, you go to Trinidad, you find that there are some Hindu practices that are down in Trinidad, and that's because of great depopulation come from the, the East, uh, uh, India. Yeah. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Antigua, Cedar Grove, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. Yes, sir. Yeah, Pastor. Yes, sir. Yeah, it seems to know a lot, right? But I don't see no difference between Christianity and Muslim. You, what, I didn't hear what you said. I don't see no difference between Christianity and the Muslim. Oh, well, tell me why you say that. Well, all of them work in God and no, no, no. This is where you've got to stop right there. It's what God you worship. The Muslim God is a, not a triune God. The Muslim God is a, a monistic God. In other words, they do not accept the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. They do not accept that Jesus Christ is God's Son. So don't tell me that they're the same God. They, they, don't, they don't have to, but they, they, they have their own God. Yeah, but that doesn't. there's only one true God, sir. Well, everybody said that. Well, not well, I, you, uh, what are your inclinations? Are you a believer or are you not a believer? No, I'm not a Christian. Okay, well, I'm going to understand where you're coming from. You're coming but, from... Uh -huh. And I don't like what you say about the black Muslim calling them racist. Well, that's exactly... The Ku Klux Klan, what do you call them? They're racist. Okay, the and same thing. people and stuff like that. Have you ever heard Farrakhan? Yeah, I heard him. I've heard him many, many times. Farrakhan is just pro-black, but remember what we went through. Yeah, yeah I understand that, and sir. I'm... Look... So, let me just say they this. They to call a black man racist, you know. Oh, they're racist black people, man. They're know, racist white I people. They're racist in Indians. Oh, well, whether they're diehard like the Ku Klux Klan or not, they are racist. No question about that. Well, so I'm not. Put it that way. Yeah, well. I'm a little bit more straightforward than you would want me to be, but I, I, that's the way I am. I speak okay, okay. what I believe to be the correct thing. But I, speak I, 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 do, I don't see guys in Muslims are just about the same as Christians. Absolutely not. In their God, everybody believes in their God, you know what I mean? you got to give them, yeah, respect everybody in their own belief. Well, respecting, respecting is not the same thing endorse. I can accept the fact that every you've got different religions, you've got the Muslims, you've got the Hindus, etc., etc. But everybody can't be right because what they teach is not the same thing. For example, the Muslims there's no there's no there's no original sin. Man is born yeah, perfect. Yeah, well, that's true. What well, you see, we in the West, we more are Christianity because that's what we learn. And then in that in the Middle East and this place, they don't know much about Christianity. That's what they learn. But don't forget that Christianity was in the Middle East before the the Muslim was actually there. 
Remember that Muslim faith is about 600 years after Christianity and 1,200 years after Judaism. All that they've got are copy. They're copycats. That's all it is. Okay. Well, yeah, well, I know that. But I'll continue listening because I do I, 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 I may I May I suggest to you, sir, if I may suggest to you, I, you, you seem to be a, a person that is on the border. I would recommend that you actually do some study yourself and, and compare the two religions and get into the scriptures. Well, I'll, I'll have to do that because I, 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 get, I learn a lot from this, you know. Okay, sir. I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much for that call. We appreciate it and keep listening. And we appreciate you sharing your thoughts. And again, the only sole unchangeable source of truth in this universe is the Bible. We started out this program a year ago with a couple of episodes talking specifically about the Bible, the source of truth. Thank you again for that call from Antigua. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy or a comment and you'd like to talk with him, you can call 268-462-7420 or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 268- 7821454 Pastor Jihad what is that Um jihad is um basically the um commitment as a muslim uh that you will defend the muslim faith and you will initiate a holy war um if somebody tries to attack muslims and destroy the muslim faith it's a a, a militant term and uh, you probably heard about the, I mean, you've been hearing ISIS, you're hearing about uh, jihad, where they actually, it's a uh, military term. But it's, uh, it's basically a holy war. It's like, look, let me put it another way. It's like the Apostle Paul trying to destroy the church. That's a form of, a, I wouldn't call it jihad, but that was religious intolerance and the decision to extirpate and destroy Christianity. It's just that we give it a different term. But that's what uh, jihad is about the defense of the Muslim faith, and um, um, if it's like a government or an individual is trying to attack the Muslim faith or destroy the Muslim faith, you have a responsibility to actually um, practice a holy war. If that involves killing, it involves killing. It's just a holy war. And don't forget, if you die in a jihad, you're already promised to go immediately to paradise. You've got all these virgins. That's a promise in the in the in the uh, in the um, the Quran. So, but that's what a jihad is. It's uh, uh, you know. They talk about two levels of jihad. One, the jihad is a spiritual struggle. You know, you struggle in your spiritual life. But the actual fact, uh, holy war has to do with actually taking up arms to defend Islam. And every Islam has that as a duty to defend its faith. Would you say that jihad is bad? Of course, any kind of religious war is bad. That's like the Catholics in the uh, when they had the, the Crusades. Crusades. I mean, look at what the Catholics did to to um, the other Protestants. How they burned them at the stake. You couldn't have a Bible. How they drowned them. How they impaled them. How they stretched their body parts on the rack. Uh, how you know, uh, how they poured. Um, Led down their throat, uh, how they punched out their eyes with with with, with stakes. I mean, that is that is that is a form of um, I don't want to use the word Christian because, but that's a form of uh, religious jihad that was practiced by the uh, the Catholic Church. But what about when the Israelites were getting ready to go into the Promised Land and God commanded them to wipe out the Canaanites because they were 
worshiping other gods. So how is that any different? There's a lot of difference because you're dealing with man. Uh, um, God deals with man at the stage of his development. His moral development, his social development, is his spiritual development. You can't compare um, what how God dealt with that. You're really talking a physical battle now. The the Israelis were it's a, it's a, their their God dealing with them has to do with their earthly promises, right? That the Messiah would come. But in the case of uh, Israel, it was a physical war of survival. Uh, the Lord said to the Israelites, look, when you go into this promised land, you've got to wipe these people out because if you don't, they're going to turn your heart away from me and become idol worshippers. And uh, that's, that, that's what God was trying to preserve the true faith of the Jews. Now, let me just say this. God has a right uh, uh, to, the, to every... God owes everything, mm-hmm. right? And remember that before God told Israel to wipe out all of the Canaanites. Read the book of Genesis very carefully. He said the iniquity of the Amorites is not ripe yet. After 430 years, then you will go and you take the land. So God gave those Canaanite people 430 years to repent. And they didn't repent. And after 430 years, then God said wipe them out. So they had enough time. And don't forget that God wiped out the entire world with the flood as well. Man's sin and man's rebellion always brings consequences. Uh, And if man does not repent, uh, God is not going to become some kind of a great-grandfather that says to you, well, well, you know, well, I understand why you're this way. God is a holy God. He holds you as a moral creature. You've got your choices to make. He tells you what is right, what is wrong, and rebellion will be punished. And in the case of the Canaanite, and by the way, you will remember in the book of Judges, because Israel did not do what God said and left remnants of those nations, they, what did they do? They brought them into idolatry, uh, they brought them into immorality. Um, so exactly what God wanted to prevent, did they ever listen? And they paid the consequences. So if you... Well, I want to say something. Yeah, go God's dealing with Israel was back way back then, 2,000 years ago. The New Testament is under a new covenant. And Christ made it very clear that he that lived by the sword will die by the sword. And the way the church conquers is never by force. We conquer by the gospel. We conquer by love. But we must not use any kind of military force, any kind of um, militancy um, uh, to, to try to bring people into conversion. So we must not equate the Old Testament dispensation with the New Testament dispensation. We're dealing with two different periods of time, two different conditions. And um, so in our day, it has never been appropriate, and Christ has never endorsed any kind of violence, any kind of persecution, uh, even to convert heretics. That has never been endorsed in Scripture. Pastor, Muslims worship where and what is involved in their their worship routine? Well, the, the key place is the mosque, right? And again, that'd be like their church. Yeah, the mosque is like their church. But you've got mosques all over the world now. Uh, and again, um, they study the Quran. Remember the five pillars? They've got to repeat um, that um, Allah is God alone and Muhammad is prophet. They've got to do the five prayers. Um, they've got to work towards moving towards this uh, pilgrimage, etc. Uh, but they study like we study in the church. Uh, they got a uh, a person who is a spiritual head that would explain the Quran like we would have the Bible and explain the, 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 the Bible. 
So uh, it's somewhat similar in terms of what they do. It's just that they use the, the Quran and uh, use different spiritual leaders. But just like we pray, and just as we study the scriptures, they pray and they study. It's like the gentleman is saying that because they're doing all of these things, they're quite like, like Christianity. They are quite like Christianity in terms of they're practicing things that are similar. But the doctrine and the teaching and the beliefs are poles apart and um, cannot be reconciled. Pastor, I have here in front of me two pictures. And the first picture is Christians holding hands in a ring, uh, standing around Muslims as the Muslims are bowing down toward Mecca and praying. And this is taking place during the Egyptian Revolution, uh, Arab Spring, I think yeah, is what it yeah, was called. Yeah, yeah, a Muslim and, Brotherhood. Yeah, and then the second photo is Muslims standing hand-to-hand uh, protecting Christians as they worship. My question for you is, mm-hmm. is that something that we as Christians should be involved in? I mean, I imagine we would say that every man should have the right to worship how he feels he needs to worship God. But is that something that you would partake in, something that you would do is uh, standing around protecting a Muslim as they pray? It depends. If I was, um, say I went into St. John's Mm -hmm. and uh, Muslims were being attacked uh, because of their Muslim faith, uh, as a Christian, um, I would defend them because they have a right to worship like anybody has a right to worship. Uh, in terms of deliberately, the Muslim is saying we're going to have a prayer session and we want Christians to come and pray with them. I would not do that because they're praying to Allah who has no ears. We're praying to the true and the living God. His name is called Jehovah Yahweh, how you want to call him. So I'm not going to endorse just like Elijah and the false prophets in the book of Kings. Um, so because we believe in religious freedom and the right for people to worship, and we ought to defend people who are wrongly attacked. Justice doesn't only belong to the Christian, it belongs to the Muslim, the, the Hindu within a Western society. We believe that every religion should have a right to worship as they want to. But if we had to protect, if I was a, a lawyer, for example, I can defend a, a Muslim. If I was a, a doctor, I would do everything in my power to uh, to save the life of a Muslim. That, that has nothing to do But when it comes to <clears throat> the worshiping together, that is not part of the, the Christian faith. You read what Paul says about separation, what has Belial to do with Christ, uh, etc., what has light to do with darkness. Uh, there's no there's no um, occasion where we'll come together with an ecumenical um, service with Muslims saying that we're praying to the same God and we're having a, a religious service. That would never happen with me. So you're not endorsing that their God is the same God. You are just uh, standing up for their human rights. Right, human rights, yeah. and they have the right to be protected. I mean, I, I would hope that they would do the same of a Christian church as being burnt, for example. I would hope that um, if they could um, protect the church and who was doing it, I would hope that they would do the same thing. You're listening to That's Truth. We have 30 minutes left in the program. This is an interactive program. It takes place every Tuesday evening from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And we would love for your interaction. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 one four five four, or you can send your question as a comment on the Facebook Live video feed, and it'll be passed along to Pastor Murphy. 
Pastor, yes, as we are discussing the Islamic beliefs, uh, the beliefs of Islam, you've talked about it some, but can you, what do they believe about God? Now, they're, Allah, I believe, is the Arabic word for God, um, but what do they believe about God? How is it similar? How is it different from what you and I, the God that you and I worship? Well, the same terms that we'd use to describe God, that God is all-seeing, omniscient, uh, God is all-knowing, omniscient, uh, God is omnipotent, all-powerful, all um, that God is a spirit. They would they would hold to that, uh, that God created man in six days. They would hold to that. Um, the the thing that you'll find in, in Muslim religion, though, that uh, um, the Muslim God lacks two things, grace and love. Those two um, attributes are profoundly missing within the Muslim faith. Uh, their God is a far more stern God than we have. A st- uh, our God is stern. We know that, and that that's demonstrated especially in the Old Testament. But we also see the the, the compassionate side of God in the person of Jesus Christ. But the the Muslim faith, um, uh, their God um, is more of an authoritarian. Remember the key word in Islam is submission. Yeah. He is a sovereign God and you just prostrate yourself before him and your purpose in life is to fulfill his will, etc., etc. But the element of compassion and love is profoundly missing and grace is missing within the Muslim movement. Pastor, we have a caller from Belmont. Thank you for calling and go ahead. Good night to Pastor Murphy and to you, the host and to the listeners. Good night, sir. Hope you all have a pleasant new year. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Murphy, I've called to endorse you again and I'll usually call in Darcy when I realize you're right on target with your, your, your program and your explanation of this various topics, right? On the topic of Islam tonight, right? Uh-huh. According to what I've researched, you're right on target. According to what I've researched, okay? Appreciate you're that. right on target. And I believe, I believe God called you to preach or teach the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I have no doubt about it. I believe so. Now, when you come to the nation Islam, yes, let's all contrast from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen here. Hear what the gospel of Jesus Christ states. The, the law and the prophets were until John, until John the Baptist, right? Yes. So therefore, this guy Muhammad, he just says the last prophet is contrary to the scriptures, okay? Correct. You're right. So the caller who called you and questioned you about um, the division of the Muslim and Christian mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you should understand. But I'm not learning. I told you, and I'm glad to know that he told you he's learning from you. And I hope a lot of people are listening to this program on Tuesday night and learn from you. Okay, you're, you're a good teacher, okay? Thank it's you. a Malcolm X, the guy Malcolm X, right? Yes. When he became um, the nation of Islam guy and he went to Mecca, right? Yes. He was surprised to see that there was a different doctrine that Elijah Muhammad taught them yes. in the West nation Islam to what the real so-called real Islam is. Yeah. So called what Elijah taught them was white man was one third rat, one third dog, and one third cat. Yeah. So therefore yeah. the race is a racist religion, you're correct. Yeah. So yeah. when he went to Mecca now and he rubbed shoulders with all those various people and the white people and so on, yeah. he went back to America and told them, Listen, we have this thing wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean and until then then you know they just fell out. Correct. And they um, knock him off. Correct. You know now, when you come to the, the quiet pillars, right? Uh-huh. One of the main pillars in, in going to Mecca during the Hajj, right, is uh-huh. this: the stoning of the devil, right? Yeah, yeah. The kissing of the stone is, is part of it. What the claim is, when you kiss the black stone, right? Uh-huh. 
They said that it cleanses, it, it, the tongue is cleansed. The sins are wiped away, the tongue is cleansed, right? Okay. But that's not the main thing. Here what the main thing is. The stoning of devil, here what it goes. Now, all of them have a, they have a heap of stone, right? Uh-huh. And they have a figurine or a statue in the desert. And that figurine or statue represents the devil. Uh-huh. So they have to fling a fire stone at, the, at that figurine, which represents the devil, before sunset. And that's where the stampede takes place and where the death takes place every year. One year, 1,100 people died in stone in that figurine or so-called devil statue, right? Uh-huh. Because they have to complete that stone of the devil before sunset. Like that when the devil going on to the rock of sunset. Yeah. And doing that now, because the sun is going down and some of them have not flung the stone as yet, so that day now they lick down one another stone, bust one another head, stamp in <laughs> one another, and then they hear 900 people die. And yeah. then they hear 500 people, every year, every year, yeah. that they had hundreds of people die. And the devil is there laughing. They don't realize they're sacrificing themselves to the devil. So you're correct. Yeah. It is a false religion. People tell me, boy, you don't go to them country to talk that way, and you know what they do to you? I said to them, listen, read Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and it says, Fear not that fear them not that kill the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So therefore, he is appointed the men to die. What would you rather die for? Die for the truth. So anywhere I go in the world, anywhere, I'm not gonna refrain from speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because he, I'm appointed to die. I'd rather die for the truth. Amen. Have a good night. Amen. Well said. Thank you very much Thank you. for the call. We appreciate it. Keep listening. Keep encouraging others to listen. And we appreciate your call from Belmont, Antigua. Pastor, is Islam a peace-loving religion? Is it possible to paint all of Islam with the same brush? No, the majority of Muslims are peaceful people. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but you have a radical group that... Um, I think we've seen it with ISIS, we've seen it with the uh, 9-11, etc. But not only that, um, you must remember that the Muslim world, uh, and I hope we'll come to deal with that, uh, maybe the next thing, deal with the terror, and the uh, etc. America is hated, and a lot of terrorism that's directed towards America and Europe. Uh, because in particular with America, America favors Israel. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only reason Israel exists today is because America is her ally. Without America being her ally, Israel is wiped off. Would you except God preserved. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but God has always used in the in the in the. I mean, at one time England was her main ally. Yeah. Uh, when and but now America is. God has always protected His people because God is not finished with Israel, as you know. Um, she'll be grafted back into God's divine plan when the church is raptured. But um, I lose, lost my thought there. What was I? Uh, we were talking about whether Islam is oh, a peace-loving. Yeah. The majority of Muslim people are, are peace-loving people. No, 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 not about, we must not paint everybody with the same brush. But there's no doubt about it that there is a militant fundamentalist arm that wants to create chaos because according to Muslim theology, this world must be in a state of chaos before uh, the Messiah comes back and put things in order. And um, the eschatological push of this radical group is to create such chaos that would force the Messiah basically to come back. So it's a religious duty, as it were, to create this kind of chaos. 
And don't forget that the Muslims were a great empire at one time. I mean, stretching from India to, uh, to Spain. And uh, just like the Western world has had their empires. I think there's always in the back of the, the mind of the, the Muslim, the, their former glory, and they like to restore some of that glory. It's like the geopolitical war that's going on between Russia and America and, and Europe, the main players. Now China is trying to itself become, uh, create a hegemony in, in that part of the world. And I think that the Muslim has had a rich history. Um, and I think that they, that's a desire to, to once again be a dominant faith um, group in the world. But from a doctrine, and you look at the Koran and the doctrine in the Koran, uh-huh. it doesn't look like a peaceful religion to me. I mean, it's very... No, because Iran, sta- I mean, the, the, the Muslim movement started in war. And when I say that, that's how Muhammad conquered. He didn't conquer by the gospel. He didn't conquer by persuading people, by, by uh, teaching. Uh, the triumph of the Muslim religion was always by the sword. Uh, and uh, so it is a militant religion, no doubt about that. But I'm talking the modern uh, group, especially the Sunnis, right? Right. The 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 Shiite are far more aggressive and far more militant. But um, also, when we come to deal with with, with um, the the Quran and we talk about the peculiar teachings of Daniel, this to cover that you're supposed to kill the infidel and so on. I mean, the strong words in there. Um, in, in, in the in the uh, the Quran itself, uh, advocating violence against non-Muslims. So, but in terms of the modern, uh, average modern uh, Muslim, uh, they're virtually uh, uh, most of them are very peaceful people. But it's a radical group that you're going to have this militancy, um, militancy trying to overthrow the world and trying especially to get back at America and trying to create uh, chaos in the Western world with all these terrorist attacks, et cetera, et cetera. A statistic that really surprised me was the fact that it's estimated by the year 2030, Muslims will make up more than 25% of the world's population. Well, you can see why that's happening. Here we are in the Western world, and we have come up with a magic figure that we must have one or two children. Mm. The Muslim doesn't think that way. If you're going to conquer the world, it's numbers you're going to conquer the world by. By invading the West now, uh, let me just show you what's happening. The West is saying our population is getting old. We don't have young, young. So the West is encouraging people like that to come to the West because they need manpower for the industries, etc. The Muslim population will come into those places, five and six children, the average Christian, one or two children. It's just a matter of time before the, 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 the this whole thing, the imbalance starts uh, again. And I hopefully the pendulum will swing somewhere when the Christians begin to realize that you can't put, can't put a benchmark of two kids. As God has blessed you, have children. But we in the Western world has become so affluent, and we want so much about uh, convenience and um, pleasure and time that we think children are inconvenience and that they interfere with our lifestyle. So therefore, we limit it to one or two. And consequently, these are the countries. For example, in a few years' time, the Catholics in America will dominate uh, America because all these people coming from South America, Catholics don't put restrictions on, you can't even use a, a condom legitimately in the Catholic Church. Yeah. So that's why Catholics has, um, I mean, five, six, seven children. So eventually America is a Protestant country. But if it continues that trend, eventually become a Catholic country. Uh, and the Catholics and the Muslims will probably compete with each other because uh, they don't seem to limit their children. And don't forget, in the Muslim religion, you can have as many as four wives. 
I mean, the book of the the Quran says that already. Limit is about four, two, three, or four. You can have any meal, <laughs> etc. So when you got uh, three or four wives, and you get three or four children from each one of those wives, I mean, wow. Yeah. Population is going to grow, and I think that's one of the fears of Europe, by the way. Uh, I think Europeans. I'm not sure they've woken up as yet, but that is going to be a trend that they're going to have to watch. Um, it's just like any other country. For example, I'm sure that Antiguans, one of the things that Antiguans are concerned about is um, too many foreigners. I think 30% of your population here in Antigua is about foreigners. That's what I heard. And I can understand why the local Antiguan would, would have some misgiving about the foreigners coming in and take over the population because 50-50, what happens? Yeah. You're listening to That's Truth. We're talking predominantly this evening about Islam and the followers of Islam who are Muslims. But we are also talking about any other question or topic that you may choose to discuss or have a question about. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four. Let me give that to you again. WhatsApp or text your question to two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Let me. Look, could I inject yeah. something here, uh, Brother Nathan? Because I know that women today are uh, very concerned about the inequalities between men and women when it comes to the Islamic faith, and I can't understand why. Um, so many people seem to be moving away from Christianity. Why would you want to go into a religion that pretty much uh, have women as second-class citizens? For example, um, according to the Hadith, chapter 3, 826 verse, and the chapter 2, 541, women are half as smart as men. I mean, that's in there, right? <laughs> uh not only that, according to Hadith, chapter 1, uh, verse 28, and 301, verse, and then Hadith 2, 162, and Hadith 7, 127, the majority of people in hell are going to be women. But not only that, you're given the right to mortgage a woman that you mortgage your property within the Islamic faith. So I have a hard time understanding why would people be moving in, in that. Not only that, you are given permission in the Quran to beat a disloyal wife. Uh, if her conduct is not conducive to what you want, you have a right to literally beat her. Uh, that is found in uh, Surah uh, in the uh, 434. Um, and um, again, if she's misbehaving, you're advised not to even share the bed with her. <laughs> so... <laughs> So when you, that's a weird teaching. I mean, women today with all the populist movement about the women's movement and uh, yeah. wanted equality, this is the kind of thing that a Muslim woman finds herself under. So I'm not to show why our Western women who have got so much liberty will want to come under the bondage of this kind of uh, treatment of women. Pastor, we have a caller from Anguilla. Thank you for calling, and go ahead. Hello, good night. Good night, um, sir. Yes, I'm calling from Anguilla, and... Um, let me say um, I'm very, very pleased with your program. I've been listening to it, but I think um, soon after it started. And um, I think it's something that is so needed. Um, I, I was asking my wife today, is it possible we could get this maybe linked with some other radio stations, maybe even 
radio station say in Angola because it is you know the, the topics that are addressed that you address and the way they're dealt with from such a biblical perspective is refreshing to say the least well, I thank you very much and I will um yeah, we'll, we will explore that option. I'll tell you what, if you have a radio station that is interested in Anguilla or any island that a listener is listening from, uh, give me their contact info, and I will be glad to get in touch with them and see how we can do that from a logistical standpoint. But we are more than willing to partner together with other stations to get the truth out there. Okay, um, I, I will explore that possibility. Because, um, the, you see, and the topics you deal with, they're topics that really need to be addressed, but you find, um, to me, a lot of Christians are, are, you know, running away from these issues. And we're allowing the, the world to set its um, agenda, and we just seem to be following, you know, right in line. Mm-hmm. One of the things, um, while you're addressing uh, false religion, um, I was wondering, um, Pastor Murphy, you, you ever thought of communism as a false religion? Well, it's it, they're not, not, not that it's not only a false religion, but humanism as well. Right. Um, Those are would, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, what I, you know, um, what I'm finding is that when I look at it, the Caribbean, is as if um, you know, there's certain fellows, uh, Marxists in strategic positions in the Caribbean and you can see they have an agenda yeah. to turn Caribbean into a Cuba like you, yeah. you, you know society yeah. and um, I, I'm finding that you know I was surprised to hear you know even you, you know Christians um, praising um, Karl Marx I mean I was oh. I was stunned that's bizarre I had a young man um, he went abroad to study and he yeah. He thinks Karl Marx is a great guy. I'm like, wow. Well, I don't even know if he, he sure he studied the history of Marx. Well, I'm, I'm not. I think he just studied what what I, I would uh, say he has been spoon fed. Correct. You know, at yeah. the university, which is usually yeah, yeah. the case. But but could I say this uh, as well? You know, I. I wish that persons like yourself as well would 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 uh, speak out more often because I think we have been. Um, intimidated so long as Christians, and I don't know why everybody wants to be popular, why everybody wants to be ingratiate themselves with the the norms that we are now seeing that have gone away from the Christian faith. I'm not to show we we are told that we're the light of the world, we are told that we're the salt of the earth, and I don't know why we are uh, want to lose our Christian identity or why we don't speak out on these matters. I, I, we must not be intimidated. We must just speak the truth. That's all we, we're concerned about. And I thank you very much for your sentiments. I really sincerely thank you very, very much. And um, you keep up the good work, okay? We're praying for you. Thank you, sir. God okay. bless you. God thank, bless you. Thank you very much for that call, and we are glad that the radio signal is reaching strong and clear to Anguilla. Keep listening. Keep encouraging others to listen, and we will keep doing our part here in sending out the truth. And again, if you are aware, this goes to anyone aware of a radio station or an entity that is would be willing to rebroadcast this program, give me their contact information and contact us here at the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse with it. 
and I will be glad, ask for Nathan Owens, and I will be glad to get in touch with them and see if we can work out the logistics of how that would work from an equipment standpoint. And we will see what we can do to get the truth out there, especially across the Eastern Caribbean. Uh, Pastor Murphy, the time, we've got about eight minutes left in the program. Well, we got two WhatsApp questions that have come in from Antigua. The first one, is it okay for Christians to read or even quote from Muslim authors such as Malcolm X or Muhammad Ali? It, it depends in, in what context. Um, I am not too sure um, if you mean for the pulpit. I'm not too sure if you're talking about um, doing a, a dissertation or writing some kind of a paper, research paper, or if you're giving a chat. I'm not too sure what you mean by that. But... Uh, it all depends on your audience as well. If you think the audience will, will take it a, a, a take a different spin to it, you've got to be careful to, to guard your reputation as though you're not endorsing uh, a particular person or individual that has an anti-Christian philosophy uh, that, you know, I think it all depends on your audience. I think it all depends on what you're doing. If it's a paper, it's a, a chat, at a a function uh, within a church, outside the church, I am not too sure. I use quotations from people that are not even Christians. It all depends on what I think that quotation, how it will impact the audience. If I think the audience is going to be offended by it or misinterpret what I'm saying as though I'm endorsing that individual, uh, I'd be far more selective. And if I did do a quotation anytime in my preaching and my teaching and our Christian, a real genuine Christian was really, really offended, uh, if I needed to apologize, I would apologize. You know, look, we are just servants. All of us are servants, including mm-hmm. myself. And um, we got to see ourselves. Our job is to help God's people stand for the truth. And uh, we will make mistakes sometimes. And we, even though our motive is right, we just got to decide what to do after that. Very, very well stated. Pastor, another question, that WhatsApp question that has come in from me, Antigua. Is it true that Islam has a Roman Catholic link and that it is actually a Roman Catholic invention and also instrument? Could Kadaja, who helped Muhammad, understood his newfound beliefs and revelations was said to be a Roman Catholic nun? I don't look. I have a problem accepting all these conspiracy theories. I, it, it bothers me a lot. Kadaja, uh, who is his uh, for his wife, his wife for twenty five years. Um, to my knowledge, I've never heard that she was a uh, Roman Catholic priest. I find that very difficult to believe. Um, as a matter of fact, when Muhammad started having these so-called visions and dreams and um, the supposed to have had the angel Gabriel speaking to him and he thought he was demonized, uh, it is she that, indeed, that told him that, no, this was Allah speaking uh, to her, to him, sorry. So I don't, I, don't, um, I don't endorse it. I've never heard of it. Um, I would say that we got to be very, very careful when all of these different uh, conspiracy theories. And I know that I am, as you from this program, uh, there's a lot within the Catholicism that I can never endorse, completely contrary to Scripture. I think there's a lot of mythology in it. I think there's a lot of um, um, bringing a lot of false teaching into the whole matter. But I don't see it as though the Catholics conspire together to create Islam. I don't see it that way. It's been a, a real battle between Islam and Catholicism. Go back and study the, the Crusades, and you discover that. Uh, why would they start a movement 
that would be so anti-Christian, it doesn't make sense to me. So I, I don't endorse it. I don't think it is right. Pastor, uh, probably 20 minutes ago before we had questions, and by the way, thank you for your interaction and questions tonight. We really appreciate your interaction and look forward to it. But we were talking about the God of Islam, and you mentioned that their God lacks grace and love compared to the God that you and I worship, the God of the Bible. Uh, Anything else in the last few minutes of the program that you would like to add about their God? Well... Um, for example, the other thing is that I think one of the biggest things that uh, would uh, Christians would have a difficult dealing with is that their God is a monistic God. And what I mean by that, he is just a singular in the sense that there's no God the Father, there's no God the Son, the Trinity. They consider the Trinity to be completely idolatrous and blasphemous. So um, I think that is one of the great distinctions between um, the Christian faith, etc. The other thing is that the Muslims see no need for God sending any son to die for any atonement. Uh, Every man is born perfect. He only commits sin when he violates the law or he goes against the Islam. But there's no sin nature that puts a man in the direction of of going in in, in the way of evil. The Bible teaches that through Adam's sin, we inherited sinful nature, and so we all sin. We are not sinners because we sin. We are sinners because we are born in sin. We just, uh, it just comes out because as a result of the sin nature. And I think that's more in line with um, humanity and the history of humanity than I think this myth that man is just born perfect. So uh, the the distinction between them is, is, is so radical and so different for anybody to talk about similarities etc etc I I just think that they're poles apart Um, but the element of grace and compassion and and God reaching out etc that to my mind is one of the supreme differences between um, Christianity but you know that the Christian God is a sovereign God as well but the sovereign God who also demonstrates love and compassion so Islamic faith is one more fear and uh, one more of submission and kowtowing and genuflection rather than just out of uh, out of love and out of uh, devotion, surrendering oneself uh, to the God of the Bible. I was really surprised when I read what you just stated, the fact that they say the humans are born uh, yeah. perfect. I was shocked when I discovered that myself because, I mean, my observations of human being living on planet Earth for so long, <laughs> uh, it's very, very obvious that you cannot explain, you really cannot explain humanity except understand that something has gone wrong with man. Yeah. And the kind of atrocious uh, uh, things that people can do. Uh, I mean, American sit with a gun like the guy did it in, in I think it was uh, one of those Scandinavian countries, and just picked up over 40 people. A, a guy could strap a bomb to his body, go into a plane and blow a plane up, or go among civilians. I mean, there's no other explanation that man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He has a sin nature. But uh, for some reason, um, they don't have that kind of a theology, and therefore there's no need of a Christ to come. There's no need of having a God's Son. There's no need of an atonement. That's why the Muslims say that Christ never died. Right? Never died. There's no resurrection. And again, how can two religions that are so poles apart in these beliefs 
as a matter of fact the very Christian faith is dependent on who Christ is and what he did yeah. you take away that and you destroy Christianity so they're not similar they're quite different in that regard I want to just read this paragraph sure. or a couple sentences and then just have you say whether you would agree with it from what you have been studying. Okay. It says, Islam teaches that humans are born spiritually neutral, perfectly capable of obeying God's requirements, and that they remain this way even after they have personally sinned. The need of humanity, therefore, is not for salvation but instruction. Hence, Islam has prophets but no saviors. Is that what you, does that fall in line? Oh, with yeah, well said, well said. Uh, I mean, if you have sin, you need a savior. If you don't have sin, you need somebody just to show you the light, so you need instructors. You've got prophets, but yeah. no savior. Well said. So that's why Islam would say that Jesus Christ came as a great prophet, but not as a savior. That's exactly right, sir. Do you think that also has something to do with the fact of why they uh, deny the crucifixion? Well, if there's no. Uh, if it's no sin and there's no need for a savior no need for atonement there's no need for Christ to die so it becomes superfluous thank you very much for joining us tonight on the program we really enjoyed your interaction the phone calls the whatsapp messages stay tuned to That's Truth next week and we will continue talking about Muslims thank you for joining us for today's program We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.